In September of 2016, I posted a video to my Facebook page. I know it was September because it was my daughter's second birthday. Uh, we had gotten her uh, a big girl bed for her second birthday. You got to get a big girl bed on your second birthday. And so uh, I made the video because that evening I was assembling her bed as one does. And my son came in the room. He's like, Dad, can I help? Now, at the time, Judah's four. So if you can believe it, he's a monster now. Uh, but at the time, he was just four. And, and so I said, sure, buddy. Yeah, you can help. But I, I didn't, I made the video to say I didn't give him the big stuff. I gave him the easy stuff, right? Like, hey, can you put this right here? I give him like the, the first good solid turn of a screw, and then I would do the tight stuff. Yeah, I, would, I would give him the easy stuff, and I would do the hard stuff. So I made the video as a 29-year-old, not-yet-pastor Brian, uh, just to say this is how God deals with us. God does the tough stuff, we get the easy stuff. Uh, so like, think about like the story of the walls of Jericho, right? What did, what did Israel do? Did they take down the walls, or did they just march? They marched. Who took down the walls? God did. He gives us the easy stuff. Now, unbeknownst to me at the time, I'm thinking about today's sermon, and this story pops back up in my mind. Because I didn't realize at the time, but the, the story has a meaning that extends even beyond what I was offering that evening. See, my daughter didn't pay for the bed. It was a gift. It was a gift to her. And it was hers. A hundred percent hers. And now she was two, so she didn't really have a say in the matter. But it could have stayed in the box and it still would have been hers. But unless someone was willing to endure the inconvenience of assembly the inconvenience of putting this thing together, she would have had it, but she would have never been able to enjoy it, right? Like if you're gonna enjoy a gift like that, you have to endure the inconvenience that it requires because anyone who's ever bought anything from Ikea <laughs> knows what's the sticker on the top of the box say? Assembly is required. Someone has to be willing to bear the inconvenience in order to enjoy the gift. You can have it and never enjoy it if you're not willing to endure the inconvenience. Good morning, Resurrection. If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, I'll invite you to join me in Luke 1 this morning. My Bible disappeared I thought I had it here on my table and I got back there and I didn't have it, but I've got my text on my iPad. I usually like to read it out of a paper Bible, um, so don't judge me that I won't today. Uh, but welcome to part three of our Advent series that we've called Behold. And what are we beholding? Well, we're beholding that there's a meaning behind the manger. We're not just celebrating the birth of a baby as one celebrates the birth of a baby, right? Like, 
Like, hey, if you come to Resurrection Church, we don't lack opportunities to celebrate the births of babies. Like, I don't know if this is your community or not. Like, we have experienced a baby boom in the last couple of years. Hey, I get that you guys love each other. Slow down. Like, our kids' ministry needs time to catch up. But we're beholding the meaning behind the manger. Two weeks ago, I invited you to behold our predicament. We looked in Genesis 3 at what events precipitated our need for a baby to be born in a manger. Last week, James brought us to Isaiah 7 and invited us to behold the promise as God makes very clear that he's not going to leave us this way. He's got a plan. He's got a plan to set right what has been made wrong. He's got a plan to fix what we broke. And today, so we beheld the predicament, we beheld the promise, and today we're beholding the provision. And we'll be in Luke 1. I have two goals this morning. Somebody say two goals. First, I want us to consider God's faithfulness. I want us to consider the character of God. That as soon as we had a problem, he had a promise and a provision. He planned it from the beginning. I want us to consider how he offers provision according to his promise to resolve our predicament. And this is important for you and me because here's what scripture will teach us elsewhere is that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus is the guarantee that God keeps every promise. And here's why that's important. Because there are some promises that we as the people of God are still waiting on. Promises that he would wipe away every tear from your eye. Anybody looking forward to that promise being fulfilled? that every tear from your eye would be wiped away by the hand of an empathetic high priest who knows your condition and loves you dearly. Every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Christ. This is good news because a promise is only as good as the character of the one who makes it. And fortunate for you and for me, God's character is impeccable. He will come through. He shows us that in this problem, the predicament began in the garden. The provision shows up thousands of years later in a town called Bethlehem. Second, I want us to see something in Mary's response to the angel Gabriel. That's kind of the two characters in our, our text for today. I want us to see something in Mary's response, and I think that it's worth pausing there and considering because Gabriel announces to Mary her part to play in God's grand plan to bring provision according to the promise to meet the needs of our predicament. And Mary's part in God's great plan is a great part to play. It's not insignificant. I know that we as Protestant Christians sometimes have a tendency to overcorrect a Catholic view of Mary. We should highly regard the mother of our Lord. We don't worship her, we don't pray to her, but we should hold her in high esteem. 
Mary was a gift to us because Mary was willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of your opportunity and mine to receive the gift. Mary was willing to endure the inconvenience that we might enjoy the gift. And what we'll see this morning is that just like receiving a gift that requires some assembly, sometimes God's greatest blessings come in boxes labeled inconvenience. Literally anyone who's ever had children. Right? You know this is true. What are the things that stress you out the most in your entire life? Are they not the very things that you prayed for God to give you? Am I lying? Does your house stress you out, your mortgage? Did you or did you not pray to God to give you that house? And if you didn't, you should have, right? Your kids? I I know those are two of the things that stress me out the most. You guys stress me out. I prayed for you. I'm being slightly facetious. Sometimes God's greatest blessings come in boxes labeled inconvenience. So let's jump into the text this morning. I hope you found your way to Luke 1. If, if so, I'll invite you to stand on your feet. We're going to read verses 26 through 38. And then we'll pray before you sit down. Luke 1, 26 reads this way. In the sixth month, time out, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. If you had read the first 25 verses of Luke, that would be obvious because we're jumping in into the middle of a story. It's not. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Ask your neighbor, can anything good come from Nazareth? (laughs) To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, he, the angel, came to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found what? Favor with God. And here's our first one. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Big promises. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And here's our second one. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, here's our third one, you say it. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. You make promises and you keep them. 
You're not a man that you should lie. You do not change your mind. If you've said it, you will do it. We're still counting on promises from you, but we're reminded in our story today that you're a God who keeps your promises. From the garden, we had a need and you had a plan. You were faithful to see it through. You are faithful, Father. That's just who you are and it's how you care for us this morning. We're just asking and trusting again that you will be who you are, that you'll be faithful in this gathering of your people as we gather around your word to be filled with your spirit that we might be forever changed. Would you do this morning in us and through us what only you can do? Would you teach us from your word? Would you shape us by your spirit? Would you transform us into your image? Would you have your way in us and among us this morning? We ask all of this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. You may be seated. So it might be easy to miss on first glance at what we just read. Uh, but if you, were, if you were to slow down and take your time through what Gabriel said, what you would recognize pretty quickly is that almost everything that comes out of his mouth is a near verbatim reference to a messianic prophecy. Uh, he's, he's literally just like a genius, like a Bible scholar. Uh, it, it's, it's like Pastor Jake's up there talking, right? Like, like just a brilliant biblical mind. Uh, he's just quoting verbatim the words of the prophets. Essentially informing Mary that these Old Testament prophecies find their fulfillment uh, in the child that is to be born. So in Luke 1.31, we, we read, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. How does Mary respond? How will this be, since I am a virgin? Well, Mary, that's inconvenient. But then again, sometimes God's greatest blessings come in boxes labeled inconvenience. And so if the angel's words sound familiar, it's because we just read it last Sunday. James preached it for like 45 minutes up here from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if we line them up next to one another, they're almost indistinguishable. The language is nearly identical. Gabriel is clearly stating that this child that is to be born of Mary is the one that God promised through the prophet Isaiah. But did you catch the difference between Luke and Isaiah? There's one difference. Did you catch it? It's the name. Isaiah promised Emmanuel, but Gabriel announces Yeshua. Maybe you didn't know this. That, that's actually the name that Jesus heard his mother yell when he was in trouble. Um, so we call him Jesus. That's a, that's a transliteration of a translation. Because in Greek, uh, Yeshua becomes Iesus, and then we just kind of bring it into English as Jesus. Um, but Isaiah promised Emmanuel, and the angel announces Yeshua. 
So is this prophecy about someone else? No. It's 100% about Jesus. He's the only one who can rightly be called Emmanuel. He's the only one about whom it can be said that he is God come to dwell with man. God with us. Because Emmanuel means God with us or God is with us, depending on how you translate it. The only human in all of history about whom that can rightly be said is Jesus. In the presence of a person, the only person about whom you could say God is with us, it's Jesus. But what does Yeshua mean? Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation. So Isaiah prophesies a God who would be with us, and Gabriel announces a God who saves. The name of Jesus is a reminder that God is not just with us, but that he is also for us. Amen. Let the name of Jesus be a reminder to you that God is not just here. He's not just with us. He's for us. And frankly, if I had to choose between a God who is with me and a God who is for me, I'm choosing eight days a week and twice on Sundays the God who is for me. Because I don't know how to feel in the presence of a God, even if he's with me, if I don't know how I stand in his sight. Right? Do I need to be terrified? Or can I have comfort and assurance? This God is not just with us. He's for us. Surely this child is Emmanuel. He's God with us. But even better, he's Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation. See, my great problem, your great problem is not loneliness. You might feel like your big problem at this stage of your life is loneliness. But that's not your great problem. It's a felt need, but it's not your deepest need. My great problem is not loneliness. If my great problem were loneliness, give me a God who will be with me. And surely Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I'm not saying that he's not. I'm saying that what he is is even better than just that. If my greatest problem is loneliness, give me a God who will be with me. But as it is, that is not my greatest problem. My great problem is not that I'm lonely, it's that I'm guilty. And I stand condemned before a holy and perfect God. I don't just need a companion. I need a Savior. Max Lucado said it this way, If our great need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation. Thank God our Lord is not only Emmanuel. He is also Yeshua. Let Christmas be your reminder. He's not just with you. He is for you. Listen to what Gabriel says next. He, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. you got to say it like the sandlot, right? 
forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now again, a very close pairing with another prophecy from Isaiah. So we just saw that Gabriel's quoting from Isaiah 7.14. Well, now Gabriel's like flipped two pages in his Bible. Now he's in Isaiah 9. I want you to hold this in your mind as we read Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, much like the son of the most high that he would be called. So, so many scholars actually believe that this this kind of like dual indication in Isaiah 9-6 is, is a, a head nod to Jesus' humanity and divinity. A child is born and a son is given. The child is human, the son is divine because there's a way in Hebrew literature that sonship can denote uh, a representation of the exact nature. A child is born, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Like an everlasting kingdom. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore. Gabriel is quite clearly, as far as I can tell, just taking Old Testament prophecy and quoting it to Mary and saying, this is all about the baby that's in your womb. This child who's both human and divine, who sits on David's throne and his kingdom has no end. This is the one that all of Israel and Judah have been waiting for. This is the provision that God had promised to resolve our predicament. And what is Mary's response to all of this? <coughs> Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. How could you respond in any other way? Like, God has been so faithful from the garden through the prophets through a divided kingdom after waiting for... Now, again, if, if you're theologically minded, uh, this is coming right at the end of uh, what, what scholars have called the period of 400 years of silence where there was no prophecy. God had not spoken from the close of Malachi to the open of Luke's gospel. God had been silent. This is essentially the breaking of the silence. So it happens to Zechariah, but he doesn't get to talk about it. He's mute. James like, you're not going to get to talk. Mary says, behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. I just don't want us to move too quickly past this because we get the benefit of reading the Bible, uh, having, having it finished in front of us. Like, like if you were watching this play out like a movie and you didn't know the story, this should feel like a moment of tension in the storyline. Because what happens if Mary says no? Have you ever stopped to consider that? I don't think that I had. You ever stopped to consider what happens if Mary says no? I, I've got plans. I, I, I'm engaged to be married. I, I've got an idea of what the next three to five years of my life might look like, and I'm not ready 
Have you ever stopped to imagine the tension that we should be feeling at this point of the story? Don't move too quickly past this. Think about everything that Mary stands to lose if this goes poorly for her, right? Her marriage. What about Joseph? What's he going to do when he finds out she's with child and it's not his? Will he stick around? Because an unmarried single mother who's not widowed, and even if you are, in the first century, you're in big trouble. That is not a good situation to find yourself in. We know from Matthew's gospel that Joseph had considered divorcing her quietly because, and this is our second consideration, what about her reputation? This is why Joseph was counting on divorcing her quietly. He's a just man, and he knows that the law would give the community latitude to stone Mary to death. So so what about her physical health? What about her reputation? Because stoning might actually be preferable to the life of judgment that she would endure at the eyes of everyone in her community because there is no leaving Nazareth. Especially if you have a child and no husband. You're dependent on your family. So every day she'll see these people who will never regard her son as legitimate, who will always be whispering about her right before she walks into the room. Stoning might actually be preferable. What about her future? What about her health? Pregnancy's risky. Pregnancy's a risky thing, and, and especially apart from modern medicine, What about her health? What happens if there's a complication? What about, even if if her pregnancy goes perfect, right? What about nine months of discomfort? What about weeks and weeks of waking up sick? She'll deliver, unbeknownst to her at this point, in a barn without the benefit of an epidural. What about, what about all of this inconvenience? The pain she'll endure as a mother. She'll be told, and we'll cover this next week, that a sword will pierce her soul. What about that? My guess is that this announcement puts a wrench in some of Mary's plans. My guess is that this is a little disruptive. At the very least, is it fair to call her position here inconvenient? Is that fair? Maybe it feels wrong because we're talking about the mother of our Lord and and this pregnancy that we've always just kind of associated with this great moment of rejoicing. But when you think about everything she's got on the line right now, is it fair to call this inconvenient? I think so. I think so. And yet, as we will come to see more clearly, sometimes God's greatest blessings come in boxes labeled inconvenience. Imagine for a moment what would have happened if Mary looked at Gabriel and said, no, I won't. I don't want this. I didn't plan for this. I have plans 
and it does not include this. What about me? What about my plans? What about my life? What about what I want? What if Mary had protested? What then? This blessing, this provision, not just to Mary, but to the whole world. What then? This looks like inconvenience. In our society, Mary would have been surrounded with scores of people, many of whom even considering themselves, calling themselves Christians, telling her to do what's in her best interest. Mary, you don't have to do this. Mary, if this was really God, he wouldn't want you to be so inconvenienced by this. Mary, you have rights here too. Mary, you can say no. And we live in a society where not only would we condone it, but many would applaud it. All these voices, you didn't plan this. This is your life. Your body, your choice. All these lies. Maybe you've heard these lies. Maybe you've believed these lies. Lies that following God shouldn't be so inconvenient. Like, like right? After all, God's all-powerful, isn't he? And, and, and he loves us, right? Like, doesn't this all-powerful, all-loving God just want me to be happy? Isn't that really what he's up there for? Careful. Careful, lest you make yourself God and assume in your mind that his job is to serve you. Yeah, but, but, but doesn't the Bible say that he wants to bless me? Sure, sure he does, but sometimes God's greatest blessings come in boxes labeled inconvenience. Because parents know that giving your child everything that they ask for when they ask for it is not blessing them. You're actually harming them. Because children want to play with shiny things like knives. And when you take those shiny scissors away from your child, they cry. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Is it, is it out of wrath and anger and hatred toward them that you take from them the shiny scissors? Or is it out of a deep and abiding love? Because maybe you see things different than how they see them. And if that gap exists between you and your toddler, how much more should it exist between you and a God who's eternal? Why does God have to make it so inconvenient to follow him? Maybe because worship has to be sacrifice. And if it's not sacrifice, it's not worship. When we worship God on our terms, essentially what we've said is, this is what I think you're deserving of. This is what I think you're worthy of. Yeah, but doesn't he know that Sundays is my only day to sleep in? I like big breakfast too. I don't know if you can tell. I like big breakfast and I cannot lie. I like to sleep in too. Why does God have to make following him so darn inconvenient? Doesn't he know that this economy is tough? How can he expect me to be generous in this economy? Tithe? 
In this economy, have you seen my grocery bill? Doesn't he know? Why does this have to be so inconvenient? And yet, I've never, I've never met a Christian who was committed to the gathering who didn't say it's worth it. I've never met a Christian who committed to tithing who didn't say it's worth it. I've never met one. So could it be that sometimes God's greatest blessings are packaged in boxes labeled inconvenience? Could it be that worship is just that sweet that when we offer to him that which costs us much, we're actually the ones who bear the benefit? Surely he does as well, but we're the ones who get blessed when we offer him that which is costly to us. This is certainly where Mary is. I've said this for a long time. Pastor Jake reminded me of this. Uh, the Christian life is marked by a consistent willingness to do the difficult thing. This is what it means to be a Christian. If, in fact, we'll be good Christians. And, and my prayer is that we will. That maybe we're not there yet, but, but we're in pursuit of what it, whatever that should mean of being a good Christian. Christian life is marked by a consistent willingness to do the difficult thing, whatever that might be. Waking up early on Sunday mornings, tithing, joining a team and serving. Actually, it was just in the last like 24 hours, I was just mindlessly scrolling through social media as one does. You know, they have a name for that now. It's called doom scrolling. Have you heard about this? That's the name when you just kind of get stuck in the loop of like next, next, next. So I was doom scrolling. Forgive me. Uh, and I ran across this video of a guy from the UK. You know, maybe I'll, I'll share it out on my Instagram later. It'll come to Instagram and Facebook. You guys can see it too. This guy's from the UK, and he's talking about how he came to know and love Jesus, but he thought that, I, I, I guess if I'm going to love Jesus, I have to love the church too. Like, like he loved Jesus in spite of the church and would come to church because he loved Jesus, but he tolerated the church. And then someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, would you, would you be willing to join our coffee team? We need some help on the coffee team. Can you? And, and his thought was like, I'm not a barista. But almost because he like, didn't want to say no, he said yes, joined the coffee team and fell in love with the church because he was giving finally, not, not showing up to take, not showing up to consume, showing up to contribute. And all of a sudden he's saying like, we don't need new coffee machines. We need new beans. We need better coffee. Let's get better cups. These cups taste bad. Can we make better coffee? Can we make, and, and he fell in love with the people he was serving, handing them cups of coffee instead of them coming and getting their own. Like he fell in love with the body of Christ because he was finally contributing something, finally giving something almost like the cost of enjoying the gift is the willingness to bear the weight of the inconvenience of the gift. He enjoyed it most when he became not a, not a consumer, but a contributor. And Mary here chooses the difficult thing. She chooses the inconvenient thing because sometimes God's greatest blessings come in boxes labeled inconvenience. So is it costly to follow God? Yes. 
Yes, it is. And it should be. But wait a second, Pastor. Isn't salvation a gift? How can it be costly if salvation is a gift? Yes, salvation is a gift. It is. If it's a gift, Pastor, then isn't it free? No. It is not free. It is not free. It has been paid for. Yes, it has been paid for. But make no mistake, your salvation and mine, it is not free, and it was not free. Your salvation is costly. And we should never treat cheaply what was purchased for us at a high cost. It was costly to Mary. It was costly to Joseph. It was costly to Jesus. We should never treat cheaply what was purchased for us at a high price. Just because it was paid for does not mean it was free. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1937 wrote a brilliant book called The Cost of Discipleship. It's a little dense, and so if you were going to try to read it, I might recommend picking up an audio version of it. Um, it, it is not necessarily an easy read, but it is an amazing read. And in The Cost of Discipleship, he attacks what he calls cheap grace that he believed was pervading the Christian church. He says, cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the gospel, which must be sought again and again. The gift which must, must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life and its grace, because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. What then should we do with this? this provision, this box that has been extended to you, offered to you, this box that was purchased for you at a high price, offered to you under the tree of your life, wrapped in pretty paper and labeled inconvenience. What then should we do? Well, we should not treat cheaply what was so costly to Jesus we should consider his kindness to us, his faithfulness that he, he saw our predicament and he had made some promises and then he saw fit to offer provision according to the promises to resolve our predicament. We should reflect on that faithfulness. We should behold his provision so that 
if you are to walk away from it and decide it is too costly for you to follow, it is too inconvenient for you to endure with it, we should behold it so that at the very least you know what you're walking away from. We should behold his provision. Behold what it cost him to offer you so great a gift without demanding that you were the one who incurred the cost. It is not free. It is paid for. We should also consider what a great price faithful Christians paid for centuries so that you in Aurora, Illinois, on the other side of the world from where these events took place, might hear this gospel, might believe in this Savior, might obtain this hope, and might receive this provision for the forgiveness of your sins. We should consider the price that was paid, and we should count ourselves as no exceptions. We have been given a great gift. It has been bought and paid for for us. Nothing else needs to be added that we might receive it. You need to hear me so clearly because this can come confusing. Nothing else needs to be added to this gift that you might receive it. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period, full stop, yes and amen. but that you might enjoy this gift. You might need to bear some inconvenience. That you might truly enjoy this gift. Behold the provision. He is not just a God who's with us. If he were, that would be enough. That's what was promised. That's what they waited for. But he is not just Emmanuel, God with us. He is Yeshua, he is Yahweh is salvation. He's for us. So the question this morning is this. What if the very thing you've been asking God to do in your life is coming to you disguised as inconvenience? If the provision that He sends in response to the prayers that you've prayed Looks like inconvenience, will you miss it? Because you prefer the path of least resistance. Would you miss it? Could you be running from the very thing that he has sent you in answer to your prayers? You've heard this before. You pray those dangerous prayers like, God, give me patience. <laughs> what does he send you? People with whom you need to be patient. God's greatest blessings come in packages labeled inconvenience. You want your spouse to be a better spouse. What if God's inviting you to be a better spouse? Inviting you to love them better might show them what it looks like to love with Christ-like love. It's inconvenient but it'll be God's greatest blessing. What inconveniences is he inviting you to embrace this morning? Maybe it's the inconvenience of every Sunday morning waking up 
consistently. Coming to the house of God, being a part of this community. Maybe it's no longer warming a chair in this building. Maybe it's joining a team. Maybe it's committing to the personal discipline of daily reading your Bible. Right? Like you, you pray that God would open your mind and your eyes to understand what you're reading and then you don't read it. Maybe the answer to your prayer is coming as you submit to the discipline of reading it. What inconveniences is he inviting you to embrace this morning? This relationship with him, this right standing in his sight, the forgiveness of your sins, it is a gift. You don't purchase it or earn it through performance. It was paid for for you on the cross of Christ in his blood. And it was enough. Paid in full and fully yours, but like my daughter's bed. If you want to enjoy this gift, you may have to endure the inconvenience of assembly. Maybe you can have it without the inconvenience, but I'm telling you, you will not be able to enjoy it without enduring the inconvenience. Assembly is required. This is actually why Scripture teaches us to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting what? The assembly. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. This is why Scripture tells us to do this. This is the place where you enjoy the gift. Here, like, Sitting at your home by yourself, how often are you actually inclined to reflect on the goodness of God versus being in a place like this? By comparison, here's my guess, you will think more about the goodness of God in the hour and a half that you spend here on a given Sunday morning than you will for the majority of the rest of your week. This is the place where you enjoy the gift. Is it inconvenient? Sure. Sometimes, yeah. I like sleeping in. I like big breakfast. But this, this is the place where we're reminded of both the features and the benefits of the gift. This is the place where my faith is strengthened. This is the place where I'm built up. This is the place where I'm encouraged. This is the place where my countenance is downcast. Somebody comes to me, puts a hand on my shoulder, and totally unbeknownst to them, just says to me, I'm so proud of you. I've watched since 2018 as you've become the pastor that you are. I'm so thankful you're my pastor. Like they didn't even know that I needed that. But this is the place that God has appointed for me to enjoy the gift, for you to enjoy the gift. This is where you'll be strengthened. This is where you'll be encouraged. This is where you'll be built up. And this is where I am most often invited to behold. Once I've been strengthened, once I've been encouraged, once I've been built, once I've been reminded, this is where I'm moved to sing. Moved to sing of his goodness. Moved to rejoice. Moved to come into his presence with my heart full of gratitude that he has seen fit to offer provision according to his promise to meet the needs of my predicament. Because apart from this grace, I'm lost. This is the place where I'm moved to sing about this baby 
this baby born according to God's promise who became a man and suffered in your place and in mine, that he might do what? That he might save us from our sins. This is a child who was born to die to save us from our sins. And this morning, if you're not sure if you have the gift, you need only ask. It's been paid for. It's been paid for and it's literally got your name on it. And if you just ask, he'll meet you with it. It's been paid in full. But I will remind you often that if you're going to enjoy it, assembly is required. Sometimes God's greatest blessings come in boxes labeled inconvenience. Your salvation was inconvenient for Mary. It was inconvenient for Joseph. It was inconvenient for Jesus. And the Christian life is marked by a consistent willingness to do the difficult thing. Mary did it. Jesus did it. It certainly was difficult for him to stand in our place, take on our cross, the cross that we deserved. And he did it anyway. And now as we wrap this morning, I just want to invite you to sing. With gratitude in your hearts, I want to invite you to sing about this child, the Lamb of God, stood in your place and mine. I want you to sing about this gift, this provision. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. You're so faithful. You saw our need. You said you would meet it, and then you came. You did what you said you would do. You always do. You bore the weight of great inconvenience to save us standing in our place, bearing the weight of our sins. We did not deserve it, but you are great and greatly to be praised. You're kind and you're patient and you're generous. And we're grateful people because this morning we've been invited to behold your provision. We've been reminded that you were faithful to your promise. So we leave behind the predicament. And we lay hold of the provision. You, Jesus, our Lamb of God, in our place. Hallelujah. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen.